Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Let's Talk, conversations about advanced practice nurses, a monthly podcast where we discuss issues pertaining to advanced practice. I am your host, Wendy Carson-Smith, and today our guest is pharmacodiligence expert, Dr. Adele Mueller. Dr. Adele Mueller has over 30 years of clinical experience as a professional nurse and nurse leader. In her role at C3I Solutions, she provides oversight of pharmacodiligence and drug safety programs and client relationships driving regulatory compliance. Let's start with how did you get started working in Pharmacovillage? What drew you into this area of practice? Hi, Wendy. Thank you for having me today. You know, I have an interesting story, but what I found is it's really not that different from most nurses in drug safety. So I started working in your traditional hospital setting for 35 years. My experience was in cardiology. And while I was working, I completed my master's degree in nursing. And then I began just sort of looking for and exploring other options where an advanced practice nurse could work in what we would consider a non-traditional nursing setting, but where I could continue to use, you know, my nursing experience and background. And right around that time, I had a nurse recruiter call me and she said, oh, I have a position in drug safety. And I really had to think about that and do some research because I really didn't know that much about it. And found was that pharmacovigilance and drug safety within the industry was really a setting where I could continue to focus on patient safety and use my experience and, and my background, just use it very differently. So in my clinical practice, I really felt like I had been working at the bedside and making a difference for my individual patients and their families. And I really wanted to do something on a much larger scale, but continue to use my nursing background. I didn't, I didn't want to get out of nursing. So I finally accepted a position in drug safety and I began working in a clinical research organization as a case processor, processing safety information. And eventually I moved into a management uh, arena and finally into a director of pharmacovigilance uh, position. And I've been working in the industry for 18 years. I just love the challenges and I learn something new every day. Can you tell me a bit about your organization, C3I, and its approach to issues pertaining to drug safety? Yeah, so C3I is what is known in the industry as a clinical research organization, or CRO. And what a CRO does is it offers a lot of different drug safety-related services, but its primary function is to assess and process and report safety information on behalf of either pharmaceutical companies or biotech companies working as their partner. So we really support these companies as they monitor their safety profile of 
you know, whatever product they have, sometimes it's a drug or it could be a vaccine or a medical device, and then they report that safety information to the regulatory authorities both uh, in the U.S. and then most companies do it globally as well. And so we really partner and support these companies through that drug development process straight through to uh, post-marketing. And the primary goal is really to ensure that safety of their products, uh, not only during the clinical research process or, or trials, as we say, but also after the product is approved and on the market for consumer use. Do you do this nationally or internationally? What is the scope of your organization? Yeah, so it, it's both. It's, it's global. Okay. And we know that drug safety really requires ongoing monitoring and a, and a lot of surveillance to protect consumer safety. So we operate in that what we call the regulatory or regulated environment and that we understand, along with the FDA and, and the other global authorities, that we have to decrease what we call the noise in safety reporting so that we really focus on the serious adverse events that could ultimately affect uh, the safety profile of the, the drugs and the devices that we use. So we constantly monitor that throughout the world that regulatory landscape to ensure that drug safety reporting that we do is in compliance with the most up-to-date regulatory intelligence. So, you know, I know that you've looked at the FDA website and you probably noted that in March of 2011, the FDA issued what they call the guidance, and this guidance was called the final rule. And what the final rule said was that pharmaceutical company should have evidence that there's a causality between the, the product uh, that they're investigating before they report that event to the FDA as an expedited report. So what this guidance did, and some people said, oh, you know, that's going to decrease the amount of events that are reported, and, and in some cases that's true, but what it actually did was it increased a higher percentage of reports that were actually caused by the product under investigation, which decreases that noise that we mentioned. So they're almost like using the joint commissions like a sentinel event process with the collection of data? Yes, yes. That's correct. And then what we do with, with the non-expedited reports is they're actually presented to the FDA in like an aggregate format. So I kind of look at this, the, the CROs and the individuals that work in drug safety as sort of the watchdogs, you know, for patients and consumers because, you know, our ultimate goal is the safety of the drugs and the vaccines and the medical devices that we use, that we all use. You and I both know it, but just so those who are not nurses in the audience have a better sense of it, please explain why nurses are uniquely prepared to participate in the process, the pharmacovigilance process. Nurses really prepared through their education and their training to play a really key role in protecting patient safety. But since this is really an essential component of professional nursing practice, as we note in the American Nurses Association Code for Nurses. And, you know, the nursing profession really looks at that code as a social contract between the nursing profession and the public. And 
You know, as you know, Wendy, the nursing has been the most trusted profession for the 16th consecutive year. So it really makes perfect sense that, you know, patients and families would share information and trust that nurses would collect and report serious adverse events on their behalf. You know, the nursing knowledge of disease processes and the associated symptoms along with that very trusted relationship really makes nurses very prepared and uniquely qualified to work in drug safety. And in fact, you know, most of our clients request that nurses participate in their programs because they really understand and value the education and the experience and the quality that nurses bring to drug safety. So how many nurses do you have working under you? Well, um, C3I utilizes only healthcare professionals to process safety information, and it's, it's very nurse-centric. So we probably have about, I would say, 50 to 60 nurses, and we employ them both as nurse managers and the safety scientists that actually process the information. So the nurses have a background in not only nursing, but processing safety information, and they manage our client uh, clinical trial and post-marketing programs and are really a tremendous resource for the rest of the staff. The safety scientist nurses are really on the front line of assessing and processing the safety information that comes in from either healthcare professionals at the investigator sites during the clinical trials or from consumers for the post-marketed products. And our philosophy at C3I is that we really empower our nurses to utilize their knowledge and their background to make decisions regarding, you know, the most appropriate way to record the information and then how to report that on behalf of our clients. We also employ nurses in our medical information center. So really nurses are a significant portion of C3I staff and requested by our clients to participate in, in all of their programs. We're going to switch and talk about EHRs for pharmacovigilance. And I want us to, to look at what are you looking for as the best components within EHRs for pharmacovigilance and how does one best use the EHR for pharmacovigilance reporting? Yeah, so the industry's really come a long way. And if we visit our Wayback Machine, you know, the pharmaceutical industry came from a time when everything was recorded on paper and stored in file cabinets. So, you know, I'm sure you can imagine that data retrieval was, was a nightmare. So with technology, um, today we find that really structured databases are the best way to collect and analyze safety data because it's really important for a company or or EA or any regulatory authority to have all that safety information accessible in one place for easy retrieval and for, for analyzing purposes. And there are several safety databases that are available, you know, throughout the industry and but each one of them consists of, of the same kind of structured fields that afford the nurse the ability to enter data in a very consistent way. Part of that structure that the nurses actually use a structured coding dictionary that helps produce a consistent event term and a description of the event. That helps with us evaluating like signals or trends in events that are associated with a product. Are these databases interoperable or, or do they 
Can they speak to each other? In some cases, they can, not all the time. Generally speaking, a company will, will select one database and then just use that particular database because they can also like run reports out of that database and it also has a function that enables them to report electronically directly to the FDA and to other regulatory authorities. So when you're looking at is safety information being reported timely and is it being updated, you know, in a timely fashion, that electro electronic reporting directly to the regulatory authorities is really an important piece. And, and when we look at trends and, and safety signals, these are the kind of things that result in like black box warnings and, and the safety precautions and the contraindications that we see in, in the product labels. So tell me then, in your translation of that data, how should nurses identify and type ADRs to promote consistency and quality reporting? What we find is that usually using like a mixed method of identifying adverse events is really the most effective method to, to make sure that we're collecting as much safety information as possible. So, for example, in the inpatient setting, we have nurses and physicians that review medical records and Medicare claims, and, and then they analyze that data, and they can also interview the patients and, and review internal hospital incident reports to identify the adverse events and, and determine trends. In the outpatient setting, what we see is that clinical research nurses really have the most contact with patients, um, especially if these are uh, patients that are participating in the clinical research studies. So these patient visits are really the opportune time for the nurse to listen and explore symptoms and solicit information about adverse events. Physicians and pharmacists are another way that they play a key role in identifying and reporting these events since they see patients in different settings and, and have different opportunities to collect health, and health information. Give me a sense of how a home health nurse or alternatively a long-term care nurse would do proper quality reporting. My mom is in a home health care setting. I'm just curious about how, I know they get a lot of data, but the question is how do they translate and how does they get sent so that it can be used in this type of function? I, um, I don't really know much about the home health environment, but what I do know is that the FDA has a what they call a fillable form uh, on their website. So any nurse or healthcare practitioner can go to the FDA website if they suspect an adverse drug reaction and they can actually fill in this form and they can submit that form and it goes directly into the FDA database. So that's definitely one way that, that they can do it. I'm not sure if their agency may also have some type of database that they keep and then uh, report trends directly to the FDA. But the, the FDA and other regulatory authorities really try to make it easy as possible for us, for any individual, whether it's a healthcare professional or a patient or a consumer, to re, you know, report events to them. Does your work include teaching nurses how to report adverse drug actions and contraindications to the FDA? Yeah, in, in many different ways. So one of the functions of a CRO is to participate in meetings as the drug safety representative on behalf of our companies. And 
what we do during those meetings is we provide guidelines to clinical research nurses um, that are going to work at the investigator site regarding, you know, how you identify an adverse event, how do you collect the information, and how do you record the information. And then we also train um, nurses in processing safety information as to how to use your nursing knowledge to tell that story of, you know, what happened to the patient from the drug safety perspective. And when this information is recorded in the safety database, the pharmaceutical company is really the one that holds the responsibility for submitting the information to the FDA or to other healthcare authorities globally. So, you know, while the nurse in most cases doesn't report directly to the FDA, they do so indirectly by providing this information to the pharmaceutical company for regulatory reporting. And then DA goes on to, you know, to monitor that, that profile of that drug or that device um, and make sure the information is updated. Um, the FDA also requires periodic reports uh, from the from the company that sort of looks at things in an, in an aggregate way. And then we also teach our medical information call center nurses, you know, that are ready to receive calls from either patients or consumers, how to report an adverse event, um, how to solicit information. Um, about the product and, and any interactions that they think might be occurring. So we really provide these nurses with extensive training uh, re regarding adverse event reporting and, and how to use their nursing knowledge and experience to, to guide the patient or the consumer through the reporting process. Now, what is the difference between health professional adverse incident reporting of hospital or health clinician clinical care professionals, and post-marketing adverse experience reports required under 21 CFR 310-305? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. So, you know, as nurses and patient advocates, you know, we're always obliged to report suspected adverse drug reactions, um, you know, noted when we were providing, you know, inpatient care. So healthcare institutions and, and the FDA, you know, provide a lot of guidance for nurses and, and any healthcare professional, really, to make it easy for reporting these adverse uh, drug reactions. In the drug safety industry, um, the clinical trial and the post-marketing world are really very distinct, and the FDA regulations have specific sections related to each domain. The clinical trials we really think about as the gold standard to assess the efficacy and the safety of new medicines or devices, but because they're conducted in very controlled conditions and far from what we consider, you know, like the real world of, of prescription and, and use of the product, that practices in patient selection or treatment conditions may alter the effectiveness or the risk associated with, the, with new drugs. So, you know, clinical trials select patients. They use very strict criteria and data is collected in a very standardized way, where in the post-marketing arena, surveillance is more observational and, and looks at the long-term effectiveness of the drug and is generally conducted, you know, more like in the real world. So post-marketing includes looking at the drug, the long-term effects of the drug in diverse groups, drug-drug interactions, drug-food interactions, um, and in most post-marketing surveillance, the pharmaceutical companies and the regulatory authorities are looking for 
you know, any increase in severity or adverse events that might be reported more frequently than, than we noted in the clinical trial arena. So there are very, very different ways of looking at it. How is your industry gearing up for these new artificial intelligence-related drugs? The drugs that now are going to be able to tell us when they've been taken or using that nanotechnology for other instances associated with drugs. I just saw, I think I saw the FDA has come out with new regulations related to that or proposed regulations. So I'm curious as to how the industry is responding to the proposed changes. Well, I think, you know, that the industry is, is always looking to be in compliance with the most up-to-date guidance. I think one of the ways that, that we've sort of moved into that arena is that we've looked at social media and how adverse events may be reported in the adverse, in the uh, social media arena, you know, to make sure that we're not missing anything, but to also make sure that the information that is gleaned from that type of technology is reputable and really holds some water, you know, as opposed to when we do work in the clinical trials, which is very reproducible. So I think as technology, you know, continues to evolve, you know, the industry is going to have to continue to evolve as well and meet whatever standards that the FDA and the global regulatory authorities, you know, think that we should, we should be held to. I think the important piece, though, is that the human component can never be taken out of um, the adverse event uh, reporting process because even with all of the technology that we have that helps us make this process better, we still need to have people interacting with these patients and showing them that, you know, we care about their well-being. What suggestions or recommendations do you have for advanced practice nurses who might want to enter this arena? We, as we've talked about, really our, our nursing education and background really puts us in a great position to do drug safety. The patient safety aspect is always in the forefront of drug safety, and that's something that really makes it a natural transition for nurses. Drug safety nurses are really empowered to continue that you know, what I like to look at is the circle of safety by remaining vigilant for our patients. So if you're really looking to utilize your nursing knowledge in a non-traditional setting, pharmacovigilance and drug safety really offers you that opportunity. You can be autonomous, you continue to work on behalf of your patients, and ultimately the consumer who takes the drugs that are out on the market. I would recommend that, that interested nurses really look into opportunities within the industry, not only in pharmaceutical companies, but CROs or clinical research sites within hospitals or physician practices. The opportunities are out there. You can also go to the FDA website, and that really gives you a flavor of what drug safety is all about. And if you're interested, it's a great way to utilize your nursing background in a completely different way from traditional nursing. Thank you, Adele, for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a positive rating on iTunes. Less Talk is a part of Carson Company, a nurse consulting firm. If you'd like to know more about Carson Company or the Let's Talk podcast, please visit us at carsonco.net. That is Carson, C-A-R-S-O-N-C-O.net. You will also find us on our Twitter and Facebook pages. 
Join us again next month for another episode of Let's Talk, Conversations About Advanced Practice Nurses. Again, thank you, Dr. Dale Mueller, and have a great day. Thank you, Andy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.